everybody, welcome to the B-Side. Here we talk about movie stars and filmmakers, not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones they made in between. And today we've got a bit of a different subject. Uh, Hollywood power producer Joan Harrison. Harrison began her decade-spanning career working with none other than Alfred Hitchcock, uh, before and after he made his transition to Hollywood from Britain. And here we're going to focus on her post-hitch producing and writing efforts, uh, which span nine films. Uh, that starts with Phantom Lady in 1944, Dark Waters in 1944, The Strange Affair of Uncle Harry in 1945, Nocturne in 1946, They Won't Believe Me in 1947, Ride the Pink Horse in 1947, Once More My Darling in 1949, Your Witness in 1950, and Circle of Danger in 1951. Uh, joining us to tackle Joan's immense output is Christina Lane, biographer and author of Phantom Lady, Hollywood producer Joan Harrison, the forgotten woman behind Hitchcock. And uh, without further ado, here's our conversation with Christina about the career of Joan Harrison. This is uh, an episode we've been looking forward to for a long time. I, I briefly teased it on Twitter a few weeks ago, if you had seen that. Um, uh about a a filmmaker, a producer who um, has never gotten enough credit, and we have been lucky enough to talk with um, uh, an an author who wrote the book literally about her. The producer the producer we're talking about is Joan Harrison, and we're joined uh, joined by author Christina Lang, who wrote the book Phantom Lady. Hollywood producer Joan Harrison, the forgotten woman behind Hitchcock. Christina, how are you doing? I'm fine this evening. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thank you uh, for being with us. Um, as always, I'm joined with Connor. Connor, how are you doing? I, I was more. It's more important how Christina's doing, but how are you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm doing. I'm doing just fine. I'm really. Uh, uh, I'm really excited for this episode. As I've mentioned on our show before, I'm a big right. Hitchcock nut. So kind of diving into this, uh, and I'm just a big old Hollywood nut in general. So the book, uh, was a ton of fun to read and watching, uh, kind of just the going movies. through her, yeah, yeah. Watch, watching the, basically all of the movies, uh, our prep for this kind of perfectly timed out with uh, noir Vember. Oh, right. Twitter, so That's it was right. a really nice way to spend the month of November kind of plowing through a lot of these movies. Um, but yeah, I'm super, uh, super excited to talk about all of them because it's a super fun filmography. Yeah, and so so Christina, I want to pass it over to you to just talk about, I guess, just the the inception of the book, I suppose. But but yeah, this just just to say it, um, as we were amidst the holidays, um, you know, and we approach, you know, Christmas and you know the holidays in general, I would just encourage, if like Connor said, if if this type of thing interests you, right, New November, Hitchcock. Um, Really, films from you know the thirties, forties, fifties, what have you? Women in filmmaking, yeah. like, yeah. like, um, just pick this book up, Phantom Lady. Like I said, um, it, it is is a great read, and we'll talk more about it. But Christina, tell me how. So, how do you come to write this book about Joan Harrison? Kind of how does this come to you, and then where do you? How does it spark and, and where do you go from there? Yeah, thanks. I really was, well, you know, I'm, I'm a Hitchcock fan, right? I love, I love Alfred Hitchcock just as, as, as much as the next person. And I was really interested in the fact that there have been so many women that worked with Alfred Hitchcock and influenced him. And, um, 
and collaborators along the way. And, and Joan Harrison just struck me as one of the most interesting people that worked with him for, for three decades, right? And she came into his life at this really formative moment for him in the mid-1930s when his career was really taking shape in a particular way. And then she as a person herself, I just, I, I, I really decided I had to write the book when I realized how interesting she was as a filmmaker in terms of noir, as we, you know, as we've hinted at and her career in Hollywood, I think as a woman struggling in that studio system in the 1940s, the more I began to kind of pull that thread and look at um, what she was up against, but also just how she defined noir as it was also kind of um, itself coming, coming along and being um being kind of born i and i found her fascinating just as a human being she's really quite, oh, yeah. you know quite remarkable so i you know it, it took me a really really long time to land on this book you know i do i do a lot of writing and i kind of like kept putting this in the back like in my back pocket and then all of a sudden it was it hit me as something that i could not help but write and so that that just it was about 6 years of, of researching and writing and oh wow just, i was going to ask Wow, that's amazing. I mean, that's the thing that always gets lost with these things. Like people ask me, because I, I produce a little bit and I've made some, you know, short films and some longer form, whatever. And then friends will be like, would you ever want to make a documentary? And I'll always say like, you got to really love something. Like, yes. now I can't even imagine writing a nonfiction book. To me, that even feels like a a bigger mountain to climb, to be honest. Um, but I mean, as as you're as you're saying, I mean, six years of research, and and even like I would imagine, I think one of the best things about your book is it really moves, right? Like mm -hmm. context is so key, but you do such a great job in you set up Joan's life, and then you obviously, and this makes sense, of course, um, you use the movies as kind of your, you know, let's as your your kind of bridge through her life and you find the moments to extrapolate and what have you phantom lady her movie and that you know a huge movie of yeah. being a huge point but um yeah it just it's fascinating and it's so it's always impresses me that that's so much time so so anyway amazing that it's out and available and obviously please read it um yeah if you like if you listen and you like this podcast you will like I mean, that's the thing about the book. I mean, the book is, I mean, for us, it was amazing because it's really like you're writing, obviously, about her Hitchcock films, but some of her movies she produced are very B-side-y. And, and just to use that as an, as to, as a, um, to introduce, we're going to focus on the nine films she made after, not really, after is the wrong word, but, but she basically... She leaves Hitchcock, though they remain very close, and she ends up obviously working with him again down the line. But she branches out on her own in yeah. the 40s, into the 50s, and produces nine films. I'm just going to run through them quick. We got Phantom Lady, Dark Waters, The Strange Affair of Uncle Harry, Nocturne, They Won't Believe Me, Ride the Pink Horse, Once More My Darling, Your Witness, and Circle of Danger. Um the back half of which Robert Montgomery directs a few. Uh, she has a professional relationship with him, which is quite interesting uh, politically, yeah. which we can talk about. Anyway, so yeah. those are the movies. Um, but I guess let's just start with. So, so yeah, like like you said, uh, Christina, she is with Hitchcock in this inflection point where he's about to leave Britain, mm -hmm. come to America. Her first credit is on Jamaica Inn, but obviously she's working on 
the, the original man who knew too much, right? She was a big part of that. Yes. And what was funny to me about Jamaica Inn, which is kind of a Hitchcock B side, I'd say. Yeah. It, it was it was kind of panned, right? And it's it's he Hitchcock had a hard time on that movie with Lawton. Yeah. What were your impressions? I suppose just as we kick off with Jamaica Inn, I mean that's such a. I had never seen it. I actually watched it for this. I, I, Connor, I think you had seen it, but yeah, like I, I had seen it. Yeah. What were your, I guess, what are your just impressions that you make in the Joan Harrison of it all on that one? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think I'm, I'm not sure that Joan Harrison would claim that right. As you, you know, one of her favorites or one sure. of her, yeah. right? like a, a great Joan Harrison movie, but it definitely has all of these, you know, kind of the, the nuances or the, the textures of films that were going to come later, like Phantom Lady right. and even, um, something like Nocturne, because you have um, the woman in peril, you know, you have this woman who finds all of a sudden she's in this situation where she's, I mean, definitely a potential victim and definitely kind of realizing that she's in this world that's well, way, she's way beyond her depth, you know, and and yet she finds this, this way out and she finds this way to become kind of a survivor and even to begin saving other people, right? Mm around her and so it's a it's really it's just a you know it's a, it's really freaking dark <laughs> it's just, oh, yeah. it's, you know it paints this really awful picture of humanity but somewhere in there you she actually i think joan harrison actually actually worked the script and also the you know worked with the actors right the performer the performance to find a really interesting character and that's what we, right. you know I, I talk about in the book so much is she really just cared about character and she knew a psychology kind of women's psychology so in jamaica and that's what we get with the character of mary Right. I, I, you know, I see that really well. Yeah. And, 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 you know, when you talk about Joan her life, which is so interesting, as you said, there's so much of that in her own life, right. Which is to say, you know, she married very late for, especially for that time period. Um, she was very independent, right. So much of that, the time period, right. Phantom lady in, uh, through circle of danger. It's so much of her trying to preempt the studio either changing their leadership and losing yeah. faith in her or just, you know, in a very, um, uh, you know, uh, what's the word? Like in a very misogynistic way, there's faith in women who are right. Who are trying to produce or producing successfully, what have you. Yeah. And she's trying to almost like, it's amazing to, to read about it. She, she, she moved to studios pretty quickly but shrewdly, right, to keep just survive and keep making the movie she wanted to make. And the fact that she was even to make nine yes. and then obviously move into television and even make really television that's quite progressive. I was able to watch a few episodes of uh, Janet Dean, Registered Nurse, and, you know, it's a good <laughs> show. I mean, yeah. there's some stuff in that show in the 50s. Ella Raines is obviously the lead and she's in Phantom Lady and I think uh, – uh, uh, what's it? Uh, Dark Waters, uh, or Strange, Strange is it? Affair. Yeah. Uh-huh. Strange Affair. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, so. Anyway, that's that's jumping ahead, but it's it. You're totally right. The character women kind of subverting expectations that are around all the other movies that are coming out at that time. It's really interesting. And and the, I, hey, the thing about Jamaica Inn, which I didn't even know that was a real. That Jamaica Inn, it's still you can go to Jamaica Inn right now. We could all go to Jamaica. Inn. Unbelievable! I did not yeah. know that. Um, yeah. yeah, that blew me away. I was like, ah, oh, old Hitchcock finding the script, and man, I was like, no, that's like a, a place that exists, and the pirates, and that was all real. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, but so Connor, I guess we, I don't want to, I mean, let's get to our main movies. I mean, so obviously Rebecca is huge, not a B side, obviously a masterpiece. She she sort of historically, uh, kind of saves it a little bit. Yeah. And, 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 and that year, um, I believe it was in the same year. Yeah. Twice nominated. She was twice nominated in the screenplay category. Unbelievable. um, For foreign correspondent. Right. And Rebecca, do I have that right? I just want yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. And um, and her contributions to both, I, I I would argue, and maybe Christina, you could disagree here, but it feels like her contributions are a little bit stronger in Rebecca. Yeah. Um, just in terms of what you know, what you come to know about uh, her as a a writer and a producer, just an overall filmmaker. Um, whereas Foreign Correspondent felt like a little bit more of a kind of a punch up. Um, I rewatched both just, uh, to kind of in, in doing my research and it does feel, you know, all the stuff, like you mentioned, kind of with Jamaica in Rebecca, if you go to make the leap from Rebecca to Phantom Lady, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of the same stuff is kind of there that you, that you mentioned, Christina, just the, the woman in peril in over Mm -hmm. her head kind of, um, but, uh, I think Rebecca just to get us into Phantom Lady Rebecca, she so astutely is able to like weave just the threads of, um, you know, what would then be transgressive subject matter, um, kind of ever so, you know, and, and sort of famously or infamously, they toy with the ending of the novel, uh, from its sort of source material to what you see on screen. And so, you know, that stuff, and I won't spoil Rebecca, but watch it. It's very good. Um, but that sort of deft handling of how to get some of that, like I said, more transgress- transgressive subject matter into the, mm. into the, into the screenplay, um, really carries through in something like Phantom Lady, um, which feels, and I believe you mentioned this in the book, but it really is like the, br- the blueprint, uh, the blueprint for everything that comes after right yes um and so to get us to phantom lady um she is uh she's a producer on it sole producing credit um and which let me just say that made me that doesn't happen anymore like in in movie making and right. so just to see produced by joan harrison for these like, basically these nine films is like as somebody who doesn't produce these great movies but produces things i'm like oh man to have that yeah autonomy even with the studio looking over you but just like you know you watch great indie movies that have 25 producers and obviously it means different things but anyway sorry kind of continue no and it's it's it, it's interesting that you mentioned the indie thing dan because as you kind of alluded to a little bit before like you know you outline in the book christina that like she sort of becomes an indie film pioneer, yeah, uh, yeah. which, which is, which is wild. Cause I, I think we think of indie film as, as generally like a recent like Jaramoosh and Soderbergh yeah, like or whatever, a yeah. more recent, uh, 21st century thing. Uh, and it is wild to just see how her and Siad Mac and mm-hmm. a number of her other collaborate, right. Uh, ultimately Robert Montgomery, like, how they navigated the studio system to still be able to make the things that they wanted to make and really turn, you know, with Phantom Lady explicitly turn B pictures into A pictures. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Christina, Phantom Lady was a success, right? 
It was, yeah. And it was, um, you know, partly it was a success because Universal was coming out of the, right, the the horror genre, right, right that was seen as kind of a ghetto of, you right. know, kind of low budget horror. And then they brought her in to bring the quote unquote woman's touch, but at the same time, this kind of artistic touch. I think they must have seen her as bringing the Hitchcock touch. Right. You right, know? Right, right, right. Um, and of course you have Robert Siadmek. It's so hard to pull the different pieces apart. You know, I think that she and yeah. Robert Siadmek were such great collaborators mm-hmm. that when you have his lighting and you have his, his artistic sensibility, and then you have her, again, her literary, you know, right. Her literary sensibility and her vision, it really did actually elevate the the picture into something more psychological in terms of the you know kind of the the phantom lady noir becomes something that's different than the horror that mm-hmm. universal had been producing so it it was a, a bit of a surprise at the box office and you know they i mean these days i guess we call it a sleeper i'm not really sure at the time that they would have said oh wow this is a sleeper and all of a sudden it you know it's mm-hmm. taken off and it's run away but it was definitely one of the better performing pictures of that year and it yeah. helped it helped put universal on a new path and it also helped um joan harrison establish herself right as as a particular kind of filmmaker um but i i just to touch you know um on what you're saying connor i think it is really really one of these things that I didn't understand until I started reading more of her interviews, right, is that because I, we we look back on on Joan Harrison and see her as a straightforward studio producer, you know, because she was making so many films for RKO and Universal, but she saw herself as working as quote unquote kind of working the system mm. and working outside the studio mm. system because she kept getting pushed out, yeah. you know, and then she'd have to find her way back in, but not really because she wanted to be on the inside, just because she wanted to make, you know, make movies. And so when she gave these interviews, she would say, you know, the only way to make films really is to be independent. And she kept striving for independence, but she would also use this code word, I think that was mature. Like I want to make films for mature audiences. And what that oh, meant God for, knows, her, right? for adult, right? I know. Or adult. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Or like adult audiences. But what that meant for her was audiences that could understand themes, you know, that were basically yeah, nuance. Yes, yeah, exactly. More sophisticated. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 Nocturne, which we'll get to, similarly, it almost reinvigorates her career in a similar way, where it is also kind of a surprise hit, um, right? And it's like, yeah, yeah. Wh- how lucky we all were that Phantom Lady was her first sole producing credit and was a hit, right? Because if she makes, yes, right, um, Strange Affair or something, that maybe is a little bit more. She pushes a little bit further outside, like a little more esoteric kind of, uh, mm-hmm. and people people just yeah. are like, "No, thank you." Yeah. You know, we might have not gotten as much as we got, which is True. you know, even it's not enough, but it's still you know. And I anyway. think I think one thing that you you continue and it's so like box office and budget is a thing we talk about constantly on this podcast, and it's something you highlight periodically, like with every film that you cover. One of the things with Phantom Lady and I guess Joan Harrison kind of as an M.O. in particular, is she was thrifty. Like she knew yeah. how to like deliver on time and under budget. Right. right, right. And and I think kind of to your point earlier, Christina, I think that probably also was a thing she did as a calculated, like you said, Dan, earlier, like shrewd move to be like, they're going to kick me out if I don't do this. So like I yeah. have to make sure that everything is like pristine. Mm. Um 
which, you know, not even to dive into what that says about what we expect of women and all kinds of workforces, which is <laughs> right, messed right. up and terrible. But yeah. it is, I, you know, I, I think whenever I see s- stories about producers who behave like that, you're like, oh, good for you. Like, just like, yeah. you know, to yeah. see somebody who's truly uh, great at their job. And I think with Phantom Lady, a lot of that comes through, like you mentioned, with what Siad Mac does with some of the lighting, some of the sets. Uh, Just the way that they build out or expand a set simply through shadows of things that are off screen. Like there's a lot of that going on um, that I I really appreciated the economy of it. We'll get through it a little quickly, but I did just want to quickly outline the plot real quick of Phantom Lady for people who might not be familiar with it. Uh, Came out in 1944. Um, As Dan mentioned, Ella Raines is the lead. She plays the secretary of uh, who is the love interest it's not alan curtis is it it is alan curtis. okay yeah she yeah, plays yeah. alan curtis's secretary who is essentially accused and convicted of murdering his wife and his alibi is basically gone missing she is this mysterious woman he shared the evening with uh during the time frame that his wife was murdered and that's where the sort of titular phantom lady comes from and Ella Raines takes it upon herself to find this phantom lady, confirm his alibi and prove his his innocence. Um, and that's sort of the, that that's sort of the basics of it. But it it takes you on this just wonderful sort of underbelly odyssey. Uh, well, and let me just admit my own bias. Right. This is, you know, just admitting like the problem with whatever societal. I don't know what to say. I'm watching this movie pretty cold, mind you. <laughs> and I'm like. And I think I watched it before I read it because I was reading the book, but I think it was the first movie I watched. So I press play and I'm like, I'm waiting for him to like, or another male to like come (laughs) in and kind of be like, all right, Ella, great work. Like, let's, let's collab on this, you know? And then at a certain point, well, and also, um, uh, and I'm going to forget his name. Thomas the, Gomez, the uh, detective Gomez. Yes, yes. And yeah. then and then and then the 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 amazing character actor from oh. House on Haunted Hill. Rancho oh. Oh, no, no. Oh, not uh, Alicia Cook Jr. Yes. Alicia Cook Jr. He shows up and I'm kind of like yeah, the, yeah, I love him by the way. goat character actor. <laughs> I love so him so much. <laughs> he shows up and you go like, "Okay, he's weird, but maybe we get a little whatever like he said she said." But then I'm like, "I'm an idiot. She's just going to run this whole show, of course, and it's so great. It's such a great lead performance and obviously would not have happened, she, you know, Joan Harrison had to fight for that obviously, and it obviously wouldn't have happened without her um uh, without her hand and mm-hmm. even like i was going to joke siad mac we're talking about when we can't get into it but christina will have you back to talk about that guy because what an interesting career i ended up watching <laughs> people on sunday uh-huh which is you know i won't get into it but look that one up you know like four of the greatest directors in the world were involved in making that movie in russia which is like or sorry germany rather yeah. which is um you know, it's just like, hey, things are going all right type of movie. And it's like, <laughs> not really. Um, but um, but uh, great movie. Um, but Siad Mac, obviously, like you're saying. And then just to – and Christina, I feel like we're hogging our thing here. But to, to the point we're making about the thriftiness, she spends where it counts. Like with Nocturne, that opening shot, which is like one of the best things she ever produced. Yeah. That costs a lot of money. But she knew, rightfully – 
that's going to grab the audience. Yeah. And it totally does. And, you know, I keep talking about Nocturne, but I think of them together. But but anyway, Christina, Phantom Lady, I guess where do you, I mean, I don't know if you rank things, but like, would you say, is this her yeah. masterpiece, you think? What do you think? Yeah, I do think it's defi- it defines, right? It defines her, who she is, but also is her, like her signature piece. And if somebody said, do I, you know, if I need to see one Joan Harrison film, which one would it be? This is the one. Um, and partly because she was staking her career on it. Like, as you say, right, if, if this doesn't succeed, what's she going to do? She's, this is it. Um, and then Ella Raines, you know, gives this great, she, she writes up this great piece in the Saturday evening post a few years later that says it was like, all of our careers are writing on this film. Mm. You know, Ella, Ella Raines was aware that as a star vehicle or as a kind of a first, um, you know, it was her first real role as a protagonist and Siad, she was aware that Siad Max career was kind of riding on this and so many of the actors and performers and even Woody Burdell, the cinematographer, right? The DP, this was kind of his first big break to show what he could do. And I think that the film really feels like that. You know, it's a gritty kind of just, it's everybody's out there just doing, putting everything, (laughs) their sweat and their blood and their tears into Mm -hmm. the film. And so that's why it might not be, you know, it may not be detour. It may not be, you know, double indemnity. Like it's not, it's not one of those films, but it feels different than anything else that you're ever going to watch. Yeah. And I think, tell me if this is, uh, you tell me if I'm dumb here or not, Christina, but in my mind, in my limited uh, view here, she almost kind of softly uh, redefines the noir film mm-hmm. twice, I would say, which would be Phantom Lady and then Ride the Pink Horse yeah. feels to me mm-hmm. like really a definitive post-war noir, which obviously, you know, the Blue Dolly is the one people talk about, of course, and it's a great movie, but like Ride the Pink Horse, I mean... The blue dog. I mean, you're de- you're. I mean, it's right there. I mean, th- these are great movies, yeah. and obviously that's Robert Montgomery and her, and as we're talking about. But is that? Is, is, you think that's right to say? What do you think? I think you're right. I don't think that film gets enough. You know, enough talk. Mm. Well, it's a great. B- we could talk about it as, as a B side, right? But it doesn't get sure. enough um, discussion, and it really. I think you're right. As a post war film, it, it it's um, really important. And, uh, you know, kind of Robert Montgomery playing the, the, the returning vet, you know, and he's, um, he's trying to kind of prove himself, but also you have the, you know, just the role of the Southwest, right. The way in which kind of Joan Harrison and the people who are making that film kind of remake the frontier, um, and it's kind right. of this, right. It's like kind of the final frontier at this really interesting moment in the 20th century. Um, and just the fact, I mean, Dorothy Hughes's novel is fascinating. Like it's a really important um, literary work, but then the way that J- Joan Harrison and also Ben Hecht and Charles Letterer, you know, as, as writers, they all kind of like re, they just revise um, that story and, and basically change the ending, right. In in a way that allows, you know, I won't do any, any, any spoilers, I guess, but I mean, Robert Montgomery is going to have to live in the right. film. Yeah. Right. Right, right, you know? right, right. Yeah. Um, so, and, and so they kind of revise that, um, that whole, basically the whole narrative and the whole character's fate in these really interesting ways. But, but, um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And Wanda, Wanda Hendrix's character, right? P, uh, Pila, 
just as a, as this really interesting young woman who's a trans, just completely transformative. Like she transforms, um, Lucky, right? Lucky is, is Robert Montgomery's character. So she completely transforms him, but she's also this just part of the, basically part of the landscape, right? But she refused, all of those characters refuse to be cliche. They all refuse to be stereotyped. And so they're also transforming their own lives, you mm. know, and they're transforming their own cultural landscape in these fascinating ways. So I think it's, it's just really, really critical and in, in the, in the, right, in noir, yeah. Right. And I just think, I mean, you know, we can we can go back to obviously to dark waters just for, for sure. context. But 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 I just yeah. I wanted to say that because I feel like, you know, those two movies, I think all nine of these movies are good. You know, we me and Connor were lucky enough to watch them all. And I think they're all worth watching, honestly, which I feel like we've done a lot of these episodes. We rarely that, say yeah, that. That, let's, that. Let's that just never, say that happens. When you dive into the B-side water, you know, obviously there's some gems. Sometimes, yeah. you know, you go, oh, that's not a gem, you know, but but um, they're all interesting. But, th but these are great. I mean, these are good two great films. And I think Ride the Pink Horse and Phantom Lady are undeniable. Um, So, yeah, we won't do I don't think we'll do plots for all these movies. So obviously, please seek them out. Um, But, you know, Dark Waters is her follow up to Phantom Lady and. It's essentially this woman, uh, Merle Oberon, uh, Leslie Calvin is her name. She is, she survives this, um, this, <laughs> this, shipwreck. I mean, it's crazy, this shipwreck. Yeah. Um, and then she, she, um, re, this movie's crazy. She, then she, uh, she relocates to Louisiana to get better, essentially. And um, her, slightly estranged estranged relatives have other plans right let's yeah. just say and it's very <laughs> crazy um and Franco tone is the the erstwhile lead man but in a very joan harrison way literally comes in and out of the picture i like him a lot in this movie but it's funny how he's like you'll be all right kid okay i'll be back in 25 minutes you're like well okay um but but i suppose i mean when we talk about progressive i mean she is swapping that right because that would yeah, very yeah. much be merle oberon in the you know in the john houston version of this movie would disappear i suppose but yeah. um i guess what what are our thoughts i mean i'll, I'll toss it to you christina what are our thoughts on dark waters i do love the ending i'll say that love the ending crazy yes yeah <laughs> yeah and i well you know again well, I guess it's really important to understand the, the context in which the film was made, you know, right. And the, right? I mean, um, that Joan Harrison was kind of brought in by these producers that had no idea what they were doing, the Orsati brothers, plus like another uh, four producers. And so she, and she was a producer on the film, basically brought in to kind of reel everybody else in. And so the director, Andre de Talk, tells these fast, you know, fabulous stories about um, what he called the seven, right. The seven headed monster or something. Right, right, um, right, right. And that, and that she was the only pro of all of them and, and that she was just trying to kind of hold everything together. And to do that, she brings in John Houston, who was just a complete <laughs> disaster. Um, but she brings in John Houston to do the writing. And I don't really think, I mean, he's not credited. Um, I don't even know if you were to go into like Wikipedia or, or IMDb. I, I honestly don't know if he's, yeah, I'm looking I don't at it now think it's so. Not, it's not mentioned, uh -huh. um, but you do mention it in your book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
we got to get all this taken care of. Yeah, yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll get, we'll get through. I'm, I'm updating the Wikipedia page right now, <laughs> citing your book as a reference. There we go. No, no, no. It's okay. <laughs> but um, anyway, so I think, to, so therefore, I mean, as much as I would love to to see, because it is a Gothic and you have, right. you know, you have this woman at the center and it has so many qualities of a Joan Harrison tale. I don't really think it's, it's that, it has that many marks of her right of her it, she's not really able and is to this able to is this safe to say i mean united artists right like they they wanted to make this movie quick kind of right it was like she kind of well, got and, brought in and Go they ahead, wanted Connor. rebecca right yeah. like that was yeah. the other part like with the source material which you can see why like it's got similar, mm-hmm. some of that similar yeah. similar elements a, a sort of a, it's somewhat timid female lead who's you know, like we continue to mention out of her depth, right? Like yeah. it's, it's got yeah. those hallmarks. Um, right. But... And she's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and she's kind of in this, um, in this house, it's, you know, the, the relationship between the house kind of investigating what's going on in the, right. in, yeah, in yeah. the family, but also in this Gothic kind of Southern Gothic home. Right. Go ahead, sort of, you. yeah. Slipping into a family that she may or may not really feel like she belongs in. Right. And, yeah. and then and same, same thing goes for the environment, but um so that's just something you can't really ignore when watching this is it does. I like this movie. Fine. It's certainly no, same. like, like, yeah. like we talked about, it's, it's a good film noir. Like you get Elijah Cook Jr. Again, which is great. like, yeah, you get yes. some, you get some quicksand for your money, you know, hey. <laughs> but, um, it, De, I, Deus, Deus ex quicksand. Yeah, right. But, um, <laughs> but definitely you, when you know about the Rebecca thing, when you know that she basically right. shepherded Rebecca into like what it is alongside, you know, Hitchcock, yeah. it makes a lot of this movie makes a lot of sense and from well, a studio standpoint. And I think yeah. one thing that needs to be said, and this isn't just a Joan Harrison comment, but in general, and you know, people like Scorsese will say this, right? Like, you know, he talks about, um, you know, uh, what's it called? Gun for gun, my gun for hire. The what's it? What's the uh, you know, what I'm talking about uh, this, gun, this, gun, this gun, gun for hire? hire. Yeah. You know, he, he loves that movie. Like, you know, the thing about noir is they were regarded in some respects as maybe B, A minus movies, depending, right? Mm-hmm. But so much of what you see now, like, I'm watching Dark Waters and I'm thinking about the underrated uh, Ian Softly movie, The Skeleton Key with Kate Hudson, which is yeah. like in the same world i mean you're gothic south right this family's doing something what are they doing we don't know i gotta figure it out oh wait like you know but the point being these movies are so influential yeah to to a degree th- that is never properly um appreciated right yes. where, where, where and i think you know obviously joan harrison's movies even more so like you you, you know when you're looking at Joan and her career, you obviously you have to think about Elise Guy Blachet, right? And like these yeah. people who came before her, these women who came before her, who, who were, you know, like we we do this uh, cinephile game night, and and I was talking about like Elise Guy Blachet, like I I only learned about her from the documentary that was made a few years ago, and then I go back, I watch her movies, and she's like inventing stuff in the silent era that mm-hmm. other people will use down the road, and we don't yeah. even know about it now thankfully hopefully we'll continue to know more and you know joan harrison's doing her version of that and i think even with stuff like dark waters which maybe isn't as successful and she's coming in more to like band-aid a situation she's still adding her touch which we you have to remember at like from a producer's standpoint that is a great talent 
right? Like oh to, to be able to come in and fix a thing or fix a thing. And so in so much as one can, like, yeah. you know, it's it's a little different than if you were talking about, you know, it, it, it just it can't I it. I think it gets lost sometimes in these narratives, not just about producers, but screenwriters, all this stuff. Like right. it, it takes a certain kind of someone to look over something and say, Oh, here's the piece that's wrong. Let me like move all yeah. this around. And so yeah. even if it doesn't necessarily net out to the, you know, a plus thing that you wanted it to be, um, it can't be said it, not enough. I think can be said about just how impressive her, her skills to like navigate, uh, yeah. the, the overall machine were right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Christina, let me ask, I mean, we're going to go through these, but I just want to, so, uh, you know, and I feel like obviously you, you, you intentionally tip your hand in your book, of course, in terms of like, as you talk about these movies, but you know, of these nine, obviously we briefly touched on ride the pink horse. What are other highlights among these in your opinion? Like what are like, other than Phantom Lady, obviously, and mm -hmm. Ride the Pink Horse, are there any that really stand out to you? Um, yeah, I do. I mean, so Nocturne is one of my favorites. Mm, love it. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, partly just because I, you know, so that was a George Raft film. I think she was maybe brought in after he already. Was cast, yeah. yeah, yeah, and was kind of putting his producer, you know, kind of producer hat on. Mm. But to me, she, it, it doesn't matter. Like she came in and clearly made that kind of a feminine, it's just a feminist, um, you know, tale of, of the, you know, kind of critique of the glamour, you know, kind of the glamour right, and, factory of Hollywood. Yeah. Don't you think she, I mean, this might, I don't want to, I'm not trying to diss George Raff, but I get right. the feeling that she kind of knew what she had with George, right? Yeah, Where it's sure. like, yeah. she's kind of like, all right, look. George had he does some things well. We love George, but uh, let me just take what George does, and I'll just pepper some better stuff around him, and we'll make we'll make our movie. It felt like that a little bit. That's one of the yeah. things that makes Nocturne work, though. Oh like, yeah, hundred like, percent. You know, and I and again, I think to, I love Nocturne to, yeah. to piggyback yeah. off of what you're saying, Dan. I mean, I think that's also a thing that pervades throughout all these movies. Is you know, there are a handful of notable leading men scattered across all these. We, we you know, we jumped over Strange Affair of Uncle Harry, but like the way oh, yeah. she utilizes George Sanders yeah. is 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 perfect. And then even to see Ella Raines in that movie compared to uh, Phantom Lady, just as like a sort of a compare contrast, they're wholly different characters, but she knows how to use her like extremely well. Mm -hmm. um, and with Raft, I think... Yeah, to your point, I think not only does she work around how maybe kind of one note Raft can be, she almost like leans on it as a thing, like in the narrative. Right. And I because I feel like the way that everyone navigates around Raft, <laughs> it's to me, it feels explicit. Like it's kind of just this like, hey, you're just kind of a nobody. And he, he sort of is. He's like just a guy who like lives with his mom. And, right. <laughs> well, and, and, you know. and, and Christina, tell us about that. It's like an iconic scene between those two old older actresses. I mean, so that yeah. what's the context of that scene? Because in Nocturne, it's so great. Yeah, I mean, you know, so one of the things that she was really great at is is casting, you know, and and um, and looking for these character actresses, right? And so it was Mabel Page and uh, Queenie Smith. Queenie Smith, I think. Yeah. Yeah, were, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, and and um. 
and I think that it was Queenie Smith that was more the she was had the theater background and, and you know, had really not done a lot of film, but either way, she basically has the, you know, them play neighbors. Um, Mabel Page is George Raff's mother, mm-hmm. and they're kind of acting out. They're, they're just completely true. They're true crime fanatics. I mean, they would have loved this age, you know, right? Of right. True totally. Yeah. They would have loved the podcast age. And so they're, <laughs> they're trying, they, they end up solving the crime um, and kind of handing it off to George Raff to then go do his business and, and clean everything up. But um, they're, so they're acting out the, the ballistics, right. And the kind of where the gun would have been positioned. And it's just the cutest darn thing that these quote unquote little scene. ladies, you know, have got it all figured out and don't, and are comfortable around guns and are comfortable talking about, you know, kind of the graphic nature of the, of the crime. And so, and Joan Harrison, it, again, it's just kind of understanding noir, right, in this completely different context, um, and and putting it into a different language. You know, it's it's not proto-feminist; it's like just feminist feminist in terms yeah, right, of the way that, right. that she does this. And finding the I, yeah, like finding those key things to like turn on their head because I I immediately when I saw those characters was thinking of Hitchcock's Shadow of a Doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, who has, and I can't think of who plays the father in Shadow of a Doubt, but it's yeah. him and Hume Cronin, who's great. Mm-hmm. And they play two friends who they constantly talk about ways they want to kill each other and how they would get away with it. Right. And like, yes. so for her to take something like that and then just be like, oh, you know what? I can like do this a little better. Like it's right. just, to me, it's like a fun little flex that like, I think <laughs> pay, pays off really well uh, in Nocturne. Yeah. And and just, you know, we'll move, I think we'll keep moving, but just with The Strange Affair, the big thing there, um, which Christina, you can probably enlighten us on, is she gets kind of, and this isn't the only time this happens, but she fights the Hayes Code on that mm-hmm. and obviously loses where the ending, she has to settle. And like she, to, to hear from, from your book, I mean, she didn't settle, right? She kind of was like, well, I'm out. Like if you're yeah. going to do this basically, but they basically have to like, spike the ending essentially with George Sanders. Um, and that's obviously a professional disappointment in her mind. It sounds like though, I think the movie stepping away, I think it still basically works in, in the way it's positioned, but obviously if you're, I think she really loved that source material. Right. And I think right. that was a, a bit of a bummer for her, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. And right. So it's the, just her professional integrity, right. And her, you know, and the, and the fact that I guess she felt that they had promised, promised, promised at the beginning of the film, you know, that she mm-hmm. could hold on to, to yeah, the ending and all, and all this. So, and, but also I think that, um, the Geraldine Fitzgerald and Robert Siodmak, they were, you know, they were perf- the director and the performers were walking off the set because they weren't able to hold on to, to the ending that they'd all kind of adhere, you know, believed in. And so she wanted to back them up, which is another reason that she walked off the set and walked out of her contract, right? She walked away from two more pictures. Um, and so the, you know, the thing about Joan Harrison was just how damn stubborn she was. She was really strong-willed. And and I think it is amazing that she didn't lose more uh, in terms of her own career and that she managed to keep bouncing back up. But, but yeah, I mean, I'll just say about the strange affair of Uncle Harry that I I agree with you. I don't really think that, I mean, what, for whatever weaknesses it has, because it it kind of walks that line between the domestic melodrama, you know, and this kind of fit, thick family melodrama, and then noir. So I'm not sure that it, you know, that like in today's world, right? right? For today, I don't know that it completely holds up 
um, the ending is, is probably not the biggest problem. <laughs> right. There's, there's other elements. I mean, it's, it's an interesting movie for sure, but yeah, but God, I mean, you said it right. George Sanders is employed perfectly in that movie. Um, and, and it's, I think the interesting thing about, um, what you mentioned her bouncing back, I mean, just con yeah. to contextualize these, like she does this <clears throat> walks away from it. Like you said, walks away from two more pictures. Um, but then Nocturne comes out and is a hit, like yes. is like a monster hit. And what I think, and you mentioned this in your book is funny about Nocturne, just in sort of the wake of that movie is she kind of just saw it as like a job, like yeah. it, she wasn't that attached to it. Um, and was sort of like, yeah. and Dan and I were kind of joking about this off mic that it's like, I feel like that's always the way with like gigantic hits is that mm. like those are the ones that that the people who make them are like oh that one yeah i just kind of i was just doing that and it, you know there are things i like but whatever and of course it's this like monster success um yes. before she she moves into um they won't believe me um, yeah which which christina you mentioned detour earlier mm -hmm. and they won't believe me has a lot of it's got a very there's a detourness yeah. to they won't believe me which has to be I mean, is it the darkest movie she made? It had, I mean, yeah, yeah. You got Robert Young, uh, who yeah. I feel like I don't know if it was in. It was in your book. He considered it. He considered it like a very big disappointment because obviously, I, I don't know how many of our listeners will know, but Robert Young basically made his bones off of being like stand-up guys, right? Mm -hmm. Like you know, he what what is it? Marcus Welby, MD, and. Mm -hmm. um, Father knows best, right? He's yes. Like, and so, so I think he, I think it was he said to um, Dick Cavett, like that this was the, you know the flop in his career because he didn't play a nice guy, and it's like, well, he certainly doesn't play a nice guy, and they right. won't believe me. And but, talk, but it's a you want to talk great about, like, movie though. Yeah. You want to talk about like endings that got just oh messed with God. to no yeah. end, and you you outline it really well in the in the book, Christina. But like. Yeah, like the, even just the studio being like, well, he can't be like that bad, right? right. Like, we got to right. make him not that bad or find a way for him to pay for it, yada, yada, yada. Uh, yeah. But it is, it's the, it is, I mean, you can imagine Robert Young's disappointment because it is the compelling thing about the movie when you give, when you take it in context of the time that it was made is just like, Oh wow, this dude is, they're just kind of really being. And what's the, what's the movie, about. what's the movie young is in the Hitchcock movie young is in that Harrison was a part of uh, uh, secret agent. It's secret. Yes. Agent, yes, right? yes, yeah. yes. 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 Yeah. Yes. 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 He's really good in that. Yeah. He's yeah, good yeah, in he, that. He's <laughs> like the other guy in that. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he's like more fun in that, which I guess is more apropos to him and his whole thing. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, you know, and the thing, I don't know if you've seen the, um, the Blu-ray this year's Blu-ray version of they won't believe me versus, because when I was writing the book, I was basing it off of the version that we've had for years and years, which is like 80, like 85 minutes long. That's what I think we watched. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I think that's the one that was, I believe that's the one that was released at the time mm. um, because, you know, it was kind of, you know, not something that Joan Harrison had much control over and the studio put it out. Um, but, but since then, and this year, um, like a much, you know, it's like 95 minutes, I guess it's 80 minutes versus 95 minutes. Cause it's 15 minutes that have been added back Interesting. in. Interesting. Yeah. And it's much truer to what everybody who was making the film wanted it to be. Uh. And 
the thing is, is that it's much richer in terms of the, again, like the relationships, you know, the, not only are the women painted even more, you know, kind of fully, they're painted more um, comp- like with more depth, but it makes him come out to be less of a cad because you're spending more time with all of them, you know? And, Interesting. And, yeah. And so he really, I mean, look, he's not going to come off that well, like you can't turn him right. around, you know? but you actually kind of understand why everybody's doing what they're doing. Yeah. A little bit better. Yeah. A little right. bit better. Yeah. I mean, that's the fascinating thing about it. It almost feels like what they were probably arguing with censors about at the time, which was like, if you, if you're judging these people by the societal constructs of the time and the confines yeah. that you want them to fit in, they mm-hmm. seem terrible, right? Well, but it's <laughs> but, just like when yeah. but when uh, it's it's a weirdly modern film because well, I was gonna say I watch it now and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I don't know, like, yeah, like yeah, maybe the they opening make decisions, but like, yeah, the yeah. opening is like a Patrick Marber play from <laughs> you know, it's like closer. It's like he's like it opens and he's like, oh, this guy's cheating on his wife, right? And it's like right, not it's that, very but it's like fact. basically he's yeah. he's with the other woman, right? Quote unquote, and he's being like. Hey, so you know, you know yeah. how I have a wife, but I love you, and you're like, whoa, like this yeah, is yeah. like, it's, I'm like, I'm like, it's I literally, I think I like checked my um, computer to make sure I was at the beginning. I was like, wait, 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 okay, I didn't miss like some <laughs> setup, but I think to we've been talking about this, the sensors, what have you, you know, Joan is always pushing those envelopes. Mm-hmm. And always running into whether it's the studio or it's the sensors and the code and what have you. Someone being like, no, no, we don't do that. And she's like, well, we should. And they're like, well, we're not going to. And then she's either walking or she's fighting for it or, you know, I think. And then obviously it could probably an easy easy, uh, pivot to the Robert Montgomery films is to say, you know, she was very liberal. He was very conservative. Yeah, be, being putting it simply, and obviously that they, they late forties fraught times with Huack and the blacklist and what have you, mm-hmm. and a lot of her friends were on that list or on you know the the Hollywood nineteen. I mean, Siadmac among them, I believe, and like yeah, and and even Ir- I think Irving. Pichel, right? Yeah. Who who did who, what did he directed? They won't believe me, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So she was very vocal against McCarthy and all of that, whereas obviously Montgomery was the exactly other way. And you you, you make mention of the fact that a lot of her friends were kind of surprised that she made so many films with Montgomery. Uh, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, yeah. uh, but, but, but go it ahead. Was, wasn't, it, wasn't it because she had a movie star who would get movies greenlit, right? Wouldn't you say? It's like she was smart enough to know like – Yes. I got this guy I can work with, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's really hard to put yourself in someone else's shoes at that time, right? I mean, yeah. and, and she wasn't naming names. No. You know, she wasn't like going um, to, in that direction. In fact, very much the opposite. She was really very hardcore in terms of her, you know, and stating her own beliefs and standing up for for everybody that was being blacklisted or being called to testify. So, but in terms of needing work and, um and seeing, I guess, as I talk about it in the book, it's kind of like just having protection. She was cert- like she was um, happy to work as a producer in his production company and basically run his production company. And and then I think it's a really kind of nuanced or complicated, you know, way of understanding him as well. Because I think from my understanding with his, you know, there's a 
a biographer that's worked a great deal on 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 him, but not actually published yet his his biography. Oh wow! And, but has talked a great deal with him, you know, before he passed away, and also with his family. And I, I think that, you know, it's not to try to be forgiving or paint him with a broad brush, but I think that he, you know, he's a really complicated character as well and or person. And I think Joan Harrison probably saw he was he was a um, mean person, right? Like Robert yeah. McCormick was known to be just downright mean. Um, but I don't know that he was as politically conservative all the time. <laughs> totally. Um, after World War II, as he gets painted. And so she probably also knew that knew him in different ways than we, you know, than we, than history has, has painted. Well, yeah. And look, I mean, you don't want to, like we're saying, we don't want to like presume these things. Then obviously when that biography comes out, I will certainly read it. Cause he's a fascinating guy. We talked about lady, uh, Lady in the Lake, right, Connor? Yeah, yeah, Lady, Lady in the Lake. lake. Lady yeah. in the Lake uh, on a previous episode, which was his, obviously, yeah. technically his directorial debut. Obviously, he he did some of They Were Expendable, but but um, but um, he was a vet, right? He was very, and, you know, he wore that as a badge of honor as well. He should have. And, like, I think you get into that element of that was the time as much as, much as any other time in, in that in being – patriots and all these things you know and um i think that's what it seems like with him right he probably yeah. was a very disciplined guy yes he wanted everybody else to be disciplined you know that you know you, yeah it's a slippery slope but you can see how he and joan was not was joan harrison was a hard worker i'm sure he right. saw that and there was that kinship of like we want to get get it done and get it done right and yeah. then, you know yeah. um but yes, mean certainly came through in, in some of the anecdotes in your book and in general when you read about him. And um but um yeah, and I think but look, the movies, you know, the three they make together, which he directs them all. Mm-hmm. Ride the Pink Horse we briefly talked about, which is obviously kind of the the pearl atop their their trio. And then I will recommend quickly if you are a physical media person, Criterion has a really great edition. Yes. Uh, of Ride the Pink Horse. Ride the Pink Horse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which I, I look forward to buying. Um, Once More, My Darling, which now, Christina, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I, so there's a movie that came out about 15 years ago <laughs> called Failure to Launch, starring uh-huh. Matthew McConaughey and Sarah Jessica Parker. I don't know if you ever saw it, but Once More, My Darling is- We covered the it late, on this podcast. Is the, <laughs> we did. Is the, it's the late 40s version of Once More, of Failure to Launch, where it's like, this guy's been a bachelor for too long. What is, <laughs> what is his mother going to do to get him out of the house? And it's like, and obviously the premises are different from there, but like, I was watching Once More, My Darling, being like man what a hoot and it just like you write about it comes out at the just the total wrong time where people are just like we're back from the war we won (laughs) but we may never be the same i I just want something that tells me that things are dark but there might be a ray of light no i don't and then it's like what about a guy who it's like no 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 no." so that one i think that one ultimately wasn't uh, a huge hit but then their last movie uh, um I did like quite a bit, and this is kind of her pivot and his pivot. They go to to England yeah. to make movies, right? And it's she ends up making Circle of Danger out there as well. But mm-hmm. your witness yes. is very much geared towards him. Um, yeah. It's probably I, I I love Ride the Pink Horse, though I think it has more to do with the whole of the picture than it does with Montgomery's performance. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think your witness, 
is really him driving it. And I do think he does a very good job. I think there's a fish out of water thing. He basically, he's a lawyer that goes to England to basically help save a buddy who's been convicted of this crime, essentially. And, and he b- becomes an, you know, a pseudo sleuth slash lawyer, but he doesn't understand the laws and stuff. And it's it's pretty fun. I mean, what's your, your witness thoughts, Christina? What do you think about that one? <laughs> Again, you know, I, it's, it's, it's interesting. It really is a bit of a, it's a bit of a gym and just, you know, I think one of the things is, is, um, Robert Montgomery loved England, right? He was an Anglophile and Joan Harrison gets to kind of go home again. And so there's a bit, bit of just the tone of it. Um, there's a, there's a lot of love in that film, just right. In terms of kind of the, the affection for, um, for place and, and then, and then again, I think you're right. I mean, actually, I think Robert Robert Montgomery's own status as a vet is, you know, he's kind of bringing this um, this his own kind of experience to the story. And I, I, you know, as I talk about in the book, like I think the the most interesting thing about the about that film and that story is that it's that it kind of like switches out. You think it's you think he's investigating something, and then all of a sudden it becomes like this rite of passage story about this young woman, you know. And I'm like, well, where did that come from? Um, and so yeah. it it yeah. suddenly falls in line with Joan Harrison's you know entire right. filmography. And I'm like, right at the moment you think she's like, all right, Rob, Bob will do one for you. Just take it, yeah. And then no, no. <laughs> and then it becomes you know, and I'm like, well, what is Robert McCurry doing directing this film? It just you know, <laughs> so, but I will admit that that there's not like a ton of suspense for me, right? It's 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 more of a drama. Yeah, than, you know, than it is like a suspense film. It's like yeah, uh, you wouldn't call it noir, right? I don't think you'd call that one a noir. Yeah, right. it's kind of, it's it's a lot of daylight. It's a lot of yeah. It's a lot of um. Like yeah, a, it's a lot it's like of a character. Bit of a mystery. Yeah. I suppose obviously it has the it has that vanishing woman trope, right? Yes. That's that's like mm-hmm. another key ingredient. Um. <laughs> Cause it is, it, I, I didn't even really think about it until right now. Uh, but it is sort of that same thing of phantom lady where it's like somewhere out there is this woman who can exonerate this person. And I just have to find her. Right. Is like the yeah. Kind, oh, yeah, interesting kind of, right, the, kind of the crux of the movie. But um, yeah, it's got a lot. It does actually have a bit in common with circle of danger, which mm-hmm. is the movie. That, it's very that similar. She, her that her last yeah. next yeah. Uh, with uh, Jacques Tourneur and it stars Ray Milland. Milland? Yep. Milland? Milland? I think it's Milland, but okay. I mean... Ray Milland, yeah, potato, potato, potato. Milland. <laughs> Sorry, Ray. Um, <laughs> Wherever you are. But, yeah. but um, they're very similar in that they both... They're both England set, as you mentioned, Dan, but uh, they're... They both, like, unfold, right? Yeah. It's like you're sort of just watching a thing... An American coming into t- right, it's yeah. like that too, and it's in Circle of Danger is a little bit different. He is a, um, he's a vet in Circle of Danger who is returning to England, but to investigate the poten- his brother, yeah, the potential friendly fire, maybe not friendly fire, death of his brother, mm-hmm. and kind of makes his way through. Uh, all the witnesses, the, the, the other people, the other men in the in the regiment or the unit, yeah. and um, you got a couple of fun faces uh, in it. Obviously, in addition to Ray Milan, Ray Milan that show up. Um, 
and I can't think of the gentleman's name now who's in the red shoes. Uh, Hugh, Hugh Sinclair? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, Marius Goring, who's... Yeah. He's in, yes, sorry. He's, My bad. He's like a staple in uh, Powell Pressburger movies, and he's an amazing Yes, 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 yes. yes. Um, now he's in Matter of Life and Death. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's great. Yeah, um, okay. But, um, it, yeah, this movie also kind of doesn't have a ton of suspense, per se. It is a bit of a mystery, but it... it Though the ending, like a lot of her endings, is, provocative. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Right, it kind of... I was pleasantly kind of right at the moment. I was like, all right, <laughs> you know, she kind of ended, she pivots to TV and this is maybe the, the, the duddiest of, mm-hmm. of a non dud, but it filmography it and it, and, ahead and she, of it's time. Kind that's of, what I was going to say. I think she really sticks speaking. it. Yeah. Like she sticks yeah. the landing. The movie certainly is what it is. And I can imagine it might not have been successful because mm-hmm. people would be like, Oh, well it's like not a hitch. And it's not, I mean, it's honestly not even a ton of a Jacques Turner movie, right? Like yeah. it, it sort of feels like him doing a little bit of a different thing too. Um, but it very much, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like Circle of Danger could get made today as is and, and not feel anachronistic in any way. Um, and so it, to me felt very, maybe not in its politics, but in its filmmaking, very progressive. Mm-hmm. Christina, do you think, you know, and this, once again, I don't want to have you repeating yourself or anything because there's plenty in the book, but do you think so? So after this, Joan Harrison pivots to TV, so does Robert Montgomery, actually, which is interesting. But but um, do you think she was ready? And from what we're talking about, these last two movies, it seems that way right. to kind of explore other avenues that weren't noir, that weren't Hitchcock adjacent. What do you I mean, is that fair to say or? Yeah, you know, I think at the time she wasn't like, there's a lot of desperation at this time. And she's like flying into Los Angeles and she's trying to meet, you know, lots of meetings and lots of like, I wouldn't say press conferences, right? But she's coming off of airplanes and she's like, I've got this deal. I've got that deal. I have Ella right. attached, you know? Um, and, and so she was really hanging on, you know? Um, but then I think that by the time she, you know, does hit television and she realizes that it is really her form, which is what I talk about in the book. I mean, I think it takes her a couple of years to figure it out. Then she's, she really doesn't want to go back. So. Because she basically becomes, I mean, one of the most, I mean, and I, I don't, I don't want to keep you too long, but, but she basically becomes like the proto showrunner, right. Which yeah. I found so cool. Uh, obviously where, you know, Janet Dean into plenty of other shows and she uh, establishes herself as like the ultimate producer, which is like, right. For those who are listening, you know, you know, shows are driven by the writers and producers and and the, uh, the directors come in to do a job, right. Not, which is obviously almost the opposite of the way it is on films, right. To this day, uh, that could be said, right. So, for her what a win right she's like what you mean i okay yes i'll stay here let me just do everything (laughs) and she also i mean you make note of it in the book as well but it what i found fascinating about that period is she uses it as a way to start giving people who had been blacklisted like all of her friends like she basically uses it as a way to wrangle in talent and and get these people recurring good gigs especially as it develops into her kind of becoming the shepherd of the the Hitchcock brand, right? Yeah, um, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, again, people didn't see her as a political person, um, but she, you know, she she was right using this as a pipeline as, as to bring pe people back from the blacklist and um, people who would direct. I mean, Paul Henry is the best example. He right. been, you yeah. know blacklisted and he was out. I mean, he was exiled, and I think he ended up directing over thirty episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and just you know his career in television beyond Hitchcock Presents is is awesome. And then directing films, you know, he was able to direct films from that. So she, but yeah, I mean, I think the fascinating thing about just how tireless she was, you know, in terms of um, producing television, she did, she did everything. As you yeah. say, you know, like, like, I think, I mean, right. We understand like just to get the like legal rights for stories. Right. And the material that is like one job that was oh just, God. that was like, I don't know, 1% of her job, right. was, you know, she was doing everything and loving and just loving it and loving it. Yeah. Which I think that's so, I mean, uh, it's amazing. I mean, so yeah, I, you know, I, let me just, um, I want to just say the title of your book again, just as we kind of come to the end here. So the book is Phantom Lady, Hollywood producer Joan Harrison, the forgotten woman behind Hitchcock. We've been talking to Christina Lane and um, the author of the book. And there's so much we didn't even talk about, right? Like her her, her, her on and off relationship with Clark Gable, my God. Yeah. She does get married to a, to a very good writer, which feels so appropriate for her right where she's yeah. like that's my guy and then um spy, and even spy like novelist yeah right, spy spy novelist. Novelist. right. And, and you know her house burns down. like there's so much i mean it's a good tease for the book so we've talked about the movies which obviously is what this show is about but there's so much in the book that we can't even get to um the tv to the tv as well we alluded to at the end um the hitchcock years i mean you know her, her, and all, her and Alma collaborating on the movie Suspicion, which is about a husband, a wife thinking the husband is going to kill her. Like, there's so much there. You mentioned in the book yeah. where, you know, Alma. That's been well documented, of course, her and Hitch's relationship. But basically, Joan being an assistant who became so much more to Hitch, mm -hmm. and her relationship with Alma. What was that like? And all of that's fascinating. Um, and I guess any final, uh, Christine, any final Joan Harrison words before we let you go? Oh, just, I, I, I just think, you know, I mean, to, in today's world, right, where we're looking for role models, I think for, for um, not just women, but for men, but especially just in terms of what's going on in Hollywood today, she gives us, she gives us so much to look at and to hold up as, as, um, as just, I don't know, a fabulous story of somebody who who defined all the odds and i mean she you know right she just had mm. uh aspirations she <laughs> she was a woman who's you know her parents just wanted her to marry the boy next door i know and <laughs> she wanted she wanted a life of adventure and she became you know one of only three women and producers in hollywood in the classical era and uh we just need to to tell her story so i i hope we will find out more yeah about. and even her her or the way she got into the interview with hitch like such a great producer lie right she like invents a scenario that gets her to the front of the line i mean we've anybody who's produced you gotta just you gotta <laughs> figure it out you know and she spent her <laughs> career doing that and 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 yeah she should be admired and celebrated so i think yeah i mean if look if we can get a 
a few people to to seek this book out and read it and kind of spread the gospel of Joan Harrison across across the world and seek out these films. Um, yeah. That would be lovely. So, uh, Christina, thank you so much for taking the time with us to talk about Joan Harrison. Um, once again, congrats on an amazing book, Phantom Lady. Check it out, everybody. Um, and Connor, I'll throw it to you uh, to sign us off. Yeah, no, I just, uh, you know, if you like what you've heard here, you can uh, find this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFSB side. And I should ask Christina, where can people find you? Where, mm. where should they find the book? Where... <laughs> Where can they find your work in general? Uh, well, you can find the book on Amazon or you can go to the publisher, which is Chicago Review Press. You can go to their website and I appreciate your having me. I want to say thank you. And you can also go to authorchristinalane.com for more on me. Well, thank you so yes, much. Christine. Thank we you. really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Uh, you know, we know nine films is a lot to cover. So do feel free to check any of those movies out. As Dan and I said, we do recommend all of them, uh, and they're a lot of fun. It's a really, really impressive uh, filmography on Joan's part. You can find Dan on Twitter at DJ Mecca and me on Twitter at Scruffy Looking. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFS B-Side. And if you like what you've heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening. It helps us out a ton. If you have any questions, suggestions, or comments, shoot us an email at B-Side, B-S-I-D-E, at thefilmstage.com. And just a final big thanks to our guest, Christina Lane, for joining us. And be sure to check out her book, Phantom Lady, Hollywood producer Joan Harrison, and the Forgotten Woman Behind Hitchcock, which you can find wherever books are sold. Uh, there is also a really great audio version of the book on Audible. And overall, it just makes a really awesome, splendid holiday gift for the uh, big film nerd in your life. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you all again very soon. <laughs>